Hey listeners, we're taking this week off to get ready for a spooky mini-series for the rest of October. In place of our regular episode, check out Odyssey's newest primer on popular politics topics for the upcoming midterms, Homestretch. This is a national look at issues like abortion, the housing market, and for this episode, inflation. We feature economist Christopher Thornburg, founder of Beacon Economics, to break down the facts, fake news, and future about what inflation has in store for the nation. And without further ado, here's Homestretch. There's an old saying in economics that inflation is nothing more than the consequence of too much money chasing too few goods. Well, that's exactly what's been going on inside the U.S. economy. Abortion, crime, election integrity, they're all issues one party or the other will use to try to mobilize voters in this November's midterms. But as James Carville famously said 30 years ago, it's the economy, stupid. I'm Doug Sovereign, and this is The Homestretch, a new political podcast from Odyssey. Each week until the election, we'll focus on one issue worth breaking down ahead of the midterms. We're starting with the economy. Soaring gas prices, falling stock markets, rising interest rates, supply chain problems, pricey pumpkin spice lattes all splashed across national headlines this year. But one word in particular stands out. Inflation. How did we get to this point in 2022 where this is the thing that everyone is feeling anxiety about? Well, a couple things here. First of all, economic anxiety has been part of the landscape for 15 years. In fact, I would argue that the economic anxiety has been far higher than any actual economic problems over most of that period. Chris Thornburg is the director of the UC Riverside School of Business Center for Economic Forecasting and Development. He's also the founder of Beacon Economics. You know, I refer to this as our miserablest phase. Coming out of the Great Recession, every story we hear, every political campaign speech starts with this idea that somehow or other Americans are suffering, our economy's in decline, millennials are going to have a worse standard of living than their parents, and all of this is utter, total nonsense. The economic statistics don't back up any of these stories. Now, those statistics are not easing anxieties among recent college grads, though. Earlier this month, LendingTree's chief credit analyst, Matt Schultz, told KCBS Radio that a recent poll found mixed emotions among those entering the workforce. We found that a little less than half of undergrads are worried that they're going to graduate into a recession, but about three quarters of them say that they're at least somewhat confident that they'll be able to get a job in their intended field after they graduate. Like so many things in our economy and in our country right now, there's just a lot of uncertainty with those folks, too. There's a wonderful book written by Milton Friedman back in 1983 called Money Mischief. And by the way, apparently nobody in the Federal Reserve has read it. He uses the same metaphor. Now, with him, he uses alcohol, right? He says it's, you know, it's like a big bender feels good when it's happening, and then you wake up the next morning with a very nasty hangover. Well, that's what 2022 is. It's a hangover from the excessive amount of stimulus that excessively stimulated our economy last year. To build off that analogy, the state fighting the worst hangover might just be California, which has the highest average gas prices in the country's most severe housing shortage. With a GDP of more than $3.3 trillion in 2021, 
California would be the fifth largest economy in the world if it were its own country, ahead of the UK and India, according to MarketWatch. This month, California is set to distribute inflation relief checks. Those eligible for the checks include single filers making up to $250,000 and joint filers earning up to $500,000. The highest payout is for couples filing jointly with at least one dependent. They could get as much as $1,050. Politico's California Playbook co-writer Jeremy White on KNX in Los Angeles. California had an enormous, historically large budget surplus this year. So these payments do reflect an attempt to share some of that wealth, literally. Obviously, a few hundred bucks only goes so far, but it certainly can help. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You know, the housing shortage is one of the biggest issues in California, and that contributes to homelessness and the state's inability to get yes, a handle no. on it. Yes, um, no. Is affordable housing a myth when it costs a million dollars a unit to put it up? First of all, the affordable housing costs a million dollars a unit. Private sector housing doesn't. So that's really more a problem with the stupidity of government regulation as they try to address this problem. But let's go to the next step. Okay. Homelessness is not driven by high housing costs. It's driven by a whole set of other problems. Drug addiction, mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All the things that our society has kind of turned its back on in the last 30 or 40 years. When there wasn't a housing shortage in this state, the problems were still there. We just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. It was behind a door of that shanty of that squatter hotel or we didn't have to see it. But now we have to see it. Now we have shortages. Now they're on the street. And now we're having to confront the problem that's been growing for years and years and years. But it's not a housing problem. People who can't afford to live in the state, you know what they do for the most part? They move away. They move to Texas. They move to Arizona. They move to Las Vegas. They move to the vast majority of the United States that is, candidly, cheaper. Now, I'd rather not have them move away. Our state is horrendously short of labor. I think everybody should have an opportunity to live in our wonderful state. But the solution to that is not, quote, unquote, affordable housing. It's housing. For all this talk about inflation, this is not a podcast about the economy. It's about the midterms. And Thornburg does not believe either party is being completely straightforward in its messaging. For example, the idea of income inequality. We've been hearing on and on about the scourge of income inequality in this nation. What's intriguing about that is income inequality actually started falling in 2015. You probably didn't know that. And by the way, over the last couple of years, income inequality is falling at about its fastest pace as it has in the last 50. In other words, things aren't all that bad. But don't let reality get in front of a good political narrative. And, you know, in this populist time, both parties' political messaging has largely devolved into your lives are terrible and it's all the other parties' fault. Or could it be both parties? After all, stimulus checks went out under both Republican and Democratic administrations. There's not one shred of evidence, not one bit of data, not one historical metaphor that would possibly lead you to the conclusion that the pandemic was going to create a depression. But again, don't let reality involve itself in good political narratives. The net result of this, of course, is that we had one of the most outrageous outpourings of economic stimulus you could possibly imagine. $6.5 trillion of fiscal stimulus, of just borrow and spend at a rate we've just never seen before. 
According to the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, 472 million payments totaling $803 billion were distributed in three different rounds of stimulus. That's not to say the stimulus wasn't warranted. From layoffs and furloughs to housing costs and supply chain hangups, people did need the money, maybe just not so much of it. Let me put some numbers wrapped around this because it's easy to say it was too big. But let me put it in context. Americans' households, by my calculations, lost about $820 billion in income over the course of the pandemic from, you know, interruption of business, interruption of their jobs, whatever the case may be. In return for that, the federal government directly gave American households $2.1 trillion. For every dollar of lost income, they gave American households $2.60. That's not fiscal stimulus. That's called trying to buy an election. After pumping all that money into the economy, what does the Fed do next? The one bit of good news here is the Fed printed way too much money in two years, but then they stopped. So this thing will burn on on its own over the next couple of years. The real problem is, yet again, the Fed is being stupid. I mean, you created this problem by printing way too much money and putting into people's and businesses' checking accounts. Now, how are you trying to fix this problem? You're jacking up interest rates. What? Well, they did it again. The Federal Reserve it raised a key interest rate, this time three quarters of a percentage point. That's the third straight time. Look, if you really want to fix this problem, you got to take that money out of the checking accounts again. Giving people piles of cash, which spreads demand across the entire economy, and then trying to cool that demand by jacking up interest rates, which hits primarily interest rate sensitive sectors like housing. Well, that's a stupid way of managing the economy. Typically, the Fed both gives and takes through interest rates. This time, they gave through cash and are trying to take back through interest rates, and you're just torquing the economy like crazy. You know, for once, the Fed should just sit on their hands and do nothing. Let it burn itself out, and it will do so harmlessly. But it won't burn itself out by November 8th. In fact, according to an August Gallup poll, inflation was cited by 18% of voters as the most important economic problem facing the country today and the second most important problem overall, trailing only poor leadership of the government. I want to ask you, you know, from the political perspective, when Joe Biden tries to downplay inflation or talk about, you know, gas prices are going to come down, he's described as, you know, disconnected, he doesn't get it, he's out of touch with the common man. I mean, that's that narrative. But it sounds like from your point of view, he's actually spot on. He is. I mean, yes, kind of. Well, he's not being honest about it because no politician can be honest about it right now, right? He has to, again, abide by certain political narratives. Otherwise, he can't be part of his party, as the case may be. I don't think, by the way, he's downplaying it. But he, like a lot of folks in government right now, continue to describe this as a supply situation. Mm -hmm. When it's not, it's a demand situation. And data, point after data point, suggests that. A lot of voters are going to vote their pocketbook in these closing weeks of this campaign, although the economic realities may not be what they see, and they're not going to change in the next few weeks based on who they vote for. So where does that leave us? Not in a good place. Look, you know, it's interesting. Yet again, go back to this idea where everybody's feeling sorry for themselves. Let me give you one statistic that I like that kind of reflects where we are from just a pure cash perspective. Prior to the pandemic, household checking account balances were running a little over a trillion dollars. Right now, people have $4.5 trillion sitting in their checking accounts. $4.5 trillion cash just sitting there. I mean, we are up to our eyeballs in money 
And yet all we could do is sit around and complain that we want more, more, more now, now, now. Thornburg added that some of us have become a little self-centered. We're all so obsessed with ourselves and our personal space and our personal feelings that we have no concept of country. We have no concept of this community problem called government debt. It's everybody else's problem. It's me, 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 now, 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 all the time. We're acting like six-year-olds. We don't seem to have any vision of tomorrow, of the future. Just now, 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 me, me, me. Again, that doesn't last. So we all got to take a step back, recognize the broader situation, try to recognize how good we have it on the basis of these technological changes. But, you know, those words are easier to say than they are, you know, actually turn into reality. So I am worried, but I'm worried not about the realities of our economy, but if you will, these delusions of decay that are driving us to make really bad public policy decisions. I'm Doug Sovereign, and thanks for listening to the first episode of our new podcast, The Home Stretch. Every Thursday leading up to the midterms, we'll drop a new episode focused on the most watched issues of this election cycle, including abortion, the Latino vote, control of the Senate, and more please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe so the next episode is waiting for you as soon as it's released. This episode was produced by Lauren Barry and Cooper Mall. Writing by Chris Blake. Sound design by Zach Clark. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. Thanks for listening to Odyssey's newest miniseries, Homestretch. Courier Pigeon is back next week with the kickoff of our spooky series. Make sure to subscribe and rate Homestretch on the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen. Plus, do the same for Courier Pigeon so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.